0: Everyone, uh, it's me, Chelsea Fagan, your girl, uh, founder and CEO of The Financial Diet and woman who loves to talk about money. And something that you might not know about me, well, two things you might not know about me. One is that every so often, not I would say not more than like twice a year, I work with private clients uh, who are uh, looking to launch a brand or redo a brand in the digital media space, usually YouTube. Um, I work with them on like an ongoing basis. We'll do like a meeting every week or two weeks over a certain period of time. And we'll work on things like uh, branding, content strategy, and just kind of all the tips and tricks that I've learned over my 12-year career in digital media, which given how uh, relatively not that much time digital media has even existed as an industry, sort of makes me a bit of a professor emeritus. And one of the clients that I worked with this year is my guest today, um, who is a former teacher, former grade school teacher, who left the profession um, and decided to start creating content specifically geared toward parents of elementary school aged children for how they can work better with their child's teachers. Because one of the primary reasons that she sort of was fatigued with teaching was that disconnect between the teachers who are instructing the children and the parents who are um, oftentimes not super well equipped to interact with those teachers. But the other thing you might not know about me is that my mother is actually a career public school teacher. But she, for as long as I can remember coming home from work, um, would have a lot of the same complaints that Natalie spoke of um, and speaks of in her videos. Um, Obviously, there is a huge gap in knowledge between the average parent at home and what is actually happening on a day-to-day basis in the child's school. You compound that with the fact that teachers are pretty critically underpaid, schools are underfunded, there aren't enough resources, there isn't enough time to dedicate to each student, and you pretty much have a recipe for disaster, which is what you see in a lot of educational outcomes. Now, the work that my guest here today does uh, educating parents on how to work better with teachers is extremely important. But her story of why she left teaching in the first place and her experience in the profession, which is some of her most popular uh, and core videos, I think is also something really worth discussing. So today's episode is going to be all about teaching as a profession, the finances of it, the realities of it, and how we can all be better for the teachers in our lives or our children's lives. Thanks to Delete Me for supporting TFC. Remove your personal info from data broker websites. And we have a special discount for you. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash TFC and use promo code TFC. Without further ado, my guest today, online friend, client, uh, and just uh, YouTuber extraordinaire, budding YouTuber extraordinaire, Natalie Parmenter.
1: Hi. Hi, Chelsea. Thank you for being uh, such a good friend, mentor, and having me on the show today.
0: Thank you for coming on. So I obviously teed that up quite a bit, but I'd love to just start um, our conversation with your story uh, as far as becoming a teacher, your experience as a teacher generally, and then why you left.
1: Sure. Uh, do you have time? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> um, so my name's Natalie Parmenter. I was a teacher for 10 years. I. Uh, graduated from college and it was the height of the recession. I was at Cal State Northridge in Los Angeles and a lot of the teachers were getting laid off in Southern California when I graduated so I took a chance and I joined Teach for America, and I was a Teach for America core member in the class of 2012. And they moved me to Charlotte, North Carolina, where I still live now, I had never been to Charlotte before I just knew they had a nice airport there um, and it seemed like a good place to end up Um, and here I am, of course, um, all these years later, but I taught um, fifth grade and then I taught first grade for three years in Charlotte. And then I achieved a dream of moving abroad and I lived in Hanoi, Vietnam for two years. I taught at an international school there, which was an incredibly different experience than teaching um, in the United States and teaching at uh, relatively low income schools in the United States. My students uh, in Vietnam all spoke two to three languages. They were from many, many different countries because it was an international school. and then I came back to the United States, um, back to Charlotte, and I taught for five years at a leader in me school, which if you're familiar with the seven habits of highly effective people, um, yeah, <laughs> they have a children's program that schools actually run under that. So they teach the seven habits. There's actually eight now um, to kids and show them how to you know, build the leadership skills. A lot of people like to say kids show leadership skills as sort of a side eye to a child that's a little strong-willed, but this actually shows kids what to do with those skills and help them become leaders. And I taught kindergarten when I was there. Um, And then in that 10 years, all of that was teaching in North Carolina and it was very, not all of it, but most of it was in the state of North Carolina. And I spent my entire career waiting for things to change in the state of North Carolina. It's a very difficult place to teach um North Carolina teachers are not legally allowed to assemble so not only is there not a union here we can't create a union and essentially teachers are just run <laughs> run ragged because of this so um the pay hill, the pay in North Carolina is some of the worst in the country and that's because they have set it up that if you Um, teach long-term, you essentially start making less money every year because the pay raises are so small. And then once you reach your 15th year of teaching, you're on a 10 year pay freeze. And then you get one more bump when you hit year 25, and then they're hoping you've retired by then essentially. Um, and so I was on this track where I loved teaching. I thought I would teach for 30 years. I thought I would do it for my entire career. Um, but everything that I was hoping would change and I was voting for the change to come just just wouldn't come. And when we taught during COVID and, you know, we were online, offline, school felt so strange. I was sitting and I was dreaming and waiting for the day to return back to the classroom and feel like I would be treated like a good employee. And maybe I would get a lunch break, which I hardly had any lunch breaks um, because they're not guaranteed to you when you're teaching in this state. And I was hoping maybe we would get the pay raise that we deserve. And yes, we did get some um, bonuses through COVID funding, but we didn't get the actual pay raise that we needed. Um And it felt a lot like going back with an ex-boyfriend or something. All of those dreams of things changing and what I had been longing for, I got back in the classroom. And they had doubled the amount of paperwork that we needed to be doing because now the kids need to be tracked so much more and they need extra testing to see how COVID affected them. And I was doing so much paperwork that I didn't feel like I had time to teach. Um, And then I was starting to feel like I was resenting my students, my sweet baby kindergartners, um, because I had to do so much paperwork on them. And I, you know, a lot of times I would end up, Um, having to cut corners and not teach the fun thing anymore. And they didn't really know the difference, but I did, because I had been doing this for 10 years. Um, And just feeling like this is a job that if you find a school that you like, If you find a grade level that you like and you find a good place to be, it is supposed to get a little bit easier every year. And teaching is the kind of job where you level up in a way that you can take on a little more every year because the old tasks have gotten easier. Um, And it just felt like every year I would enter the school year and my things would be harder and harder, more difficult to achieve. Um, I was working all weekend long. I was working after hours. And I got to a point where um, my husband really—he's always been supportive of me, but he said, "You know, you've been doing this ten years now, and you're more stressed than in your first year teaching. And your first couple years teaching are supposed to be the worst times in your career." Um, and he said, "You know, you have—you have so much passion, and you have so many ideas. If you want to try something else, I've got you. I've, I'll support you, and I will help you out, and you can go in a different direction." And at the time, I wasn't sure what that was, but as soon as he put it in my head, I felt so much guilt because teaching is um, there's such a culture around teaching. A lot of my identity was around being a teacher. I loved that pride of telling somebody, Hey, I'm a teacher and not having to say another word. People just know what that means. And you're proud of that for whatever reason, everybody, um, everybody in teaching is really excited to be a teacher. And I think part of that is the intense sacrifice and the way that we get beat up. We we band together in a lot of ways. Um, but as soon as the thought and the idea of leaving teaching really sank in, I started to realize that the amount of stress that I was experiencing did not match my pay. And I said, I I need to make a change. I need to get out of here. So I had started um, a YouTube channel, Primary Focus, my YouTube channel, um, when I graduated um, from Johns Hopkins with my master's degree, uh, because they had a huge, when I graduated, they said they really wanted to make sure that, you know, the things that we did didn't just stay in a file on our computer somewhere. They really wanted us to seize the moment and seize everything we had learned. I studied a lot of parent outreach in my program. And I said, well, parents aren't going to sit and read these essays that I've written. Um, Let's get these out in a form in a way that people can understand and read and access it um, on their own time. So I started just recreating a lot of what I had studied at school and a lot of the um, frequently asked questions that I got as a teacher um, in video format. And I had been doing this as a hobby and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, Even though I was so stressed and had so much going on, I, I stayed committed to the content calendar and the, the schedule that I had made for myself. Um, And from there, I decided, let's see if we can make primary focus into a business and do this full time. Um, And so that's what I've been doing. This is now going to be my second year out of the classroom.
0: And obviously, so on Primary Focus, most of your like niche for your content is educating parents of young children on how to work with their teachers. And as I mentioned, my mother um, is also a career teacher and found the parents to often be one of the biggest obstacles on a day-to-day basis in 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 the work that she did you know on kind of both extremes in the sense that sometimes you had parents who were borderline neglectful and not interested at all in their children's education and weren't responsive and couldn't be wouldn't come to parent teacher meetings or or any of those kind of things but then you had parents who were overly involved but not in a way that really helped their child that were sort of you know, oh, that doesn't sound like my kid. My kid would never do this. Like, you know, my kid is so special. My kid is this, that, and the other, um, in a way that you know is maybe not super aligned with the way the, the the child actually is in school. And you know, she would often say that she felt very sort of abandoned by the school in terms of you know uh, having to 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 stand her ground sometimes on decisions that were made whether it was a grade or you know some kind of disciplinary action or or what have you and you know obviously a huge part of the issue in teaching today is underpayment period that's just the biggest issue but even setting aside the financial aspect, because there are districts in the US where teachers are paid much more competitively, and they do have things like the protection of a union and really good health care and things like that, um, there is still, I think, a lack of respect for teachers in terms of their expertise in their profession. So, You know, when I think about the undervaluing of teachers, now there are, that's a spectrum, right? Like you have from, you know, a run of the mill parent who like thinks that, The teacher is like out to get their student or their child, and they would like never be bad and all of that. Like they're not taking what they say seriously. They're not believing them, whatever. So like you have that, Um, and then you have like you know the the parents groups who are trying to like actively undermine schools and like like you said, looking for um, boogeyman books in the library and all of that kind of stuff. Um, And then you just kind of have the ambient day to day like teachers not being. You know, I think really even fully yes, I think everyone has like a superficial notion of like yeah, teachers are really important, they do really great work, whatever. But definitely not, I think similar to like for example, nurses given quite the credit uh, that they deserve for as as difficult as the job can be and how much sacrifice it requires. Now, obviously, simultaneously for for the most part, teachers are wildly underpaid, and I often wonder like w- which is kind of the chicken and the egg in terms of. Are teachers undervalued and their expertise not respected because they're so underpaid? Or are they so underpaid because they're not valued in our culture?
1: I think teachers are underpaid because it is traditionally a woman's job. And women Mm. are undervalued in our culture. Well said. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's. I think about this a lot, especially now that I am a public figure online. A lot of the rudest comments that I get are saying teachers shouldn't have opinions. And, um, well, why wouldn't I have an opinion? I'm a, I, this is my profession. I've poured so much work. I've poured, you know, money into getting more educated to be good at this. I've, um, why wouldn't I have an opinion? I'm supposed to, I'm a professional in a professional space. Um, and that's something I struggle with a lot, especially now that I create videos too. i realize how, um, oppressed I felt to share my professional opinion, because parents would often be so quick to snap back at you and get angry at you for sharing that opinion and try to change you out of their class or complain about you to some higher up. And, um, oftentimes my opinion would end up being right, or it would be, um, and it's not even about being right. It's just about listening. This could be an option with what's going on with your child. Um, but a lot of times, you know, teaching is traditionally a woman's job. There was a long time when it was one of the only jobs a woman could get. And there was a long time where it was sort of strange to see a male teacher. I think that's starting to change. We are seeing more male teachers. But, um, you know, if women are often not supposed to be sharing their opinion, it's supposed to be a mother's job. Um, I think it's hard sometimes for people to understand that, you know, teachers are strong professionals who have opinions because it's, it's based in all of their studies and their experience.
0: Could you talk a little bit about, first of all, what your experience was like interacting with the parents of the students that you had? Um, and what are sort of the biggest lessons that you want to impart from the content you make toward parents?
1: Yeah, um, and I absolutely want to agree with you. Um, I believe everybody needs to make a fair wage in the United States. Um, and I'm happy to see people are now getting bumped up to what teachers in North Carolina are making because that is so needed. Um, yeah. So the interactions with parents, I worked, as I mentioned, I worked in three very different environments when I was teaching. So when I started, I was at a school that had Of children that were growing up in poverty or close to poverty. And so I was working with parents that cared so deeply, but the way that they cared was that they were working three jobs. And so as much as I know they wanted to be involved, you know, when I was sitting at a parent teacher conference, it was, I could just see that they were exhausted and we were starting from a different place. It takes a lot of energy to be involved in your child's education and care about it. Um, But I know that they Wanted to, so I was always trying to work and help out and see eye to eye. But when you, um, I was always trying to help reach out to those parents and give them quick, easy ways that they could be supporting their child and checking in and like, hey, this is how you get the most bang for your buck with homework because I know your time is so limited. Um, when I worked in Asia, <laughs> in Vietnam, those parents often they respect school in such a different way than what you see in the United States. I remember when I first started working there, my boss, my principal at the school told me I had to be really careful with the suggestions that I gave because those parents wanted their children to succeed in school so badly that they would often do it, you know, double over whatever you recommended. And they said, you don't need to worry too much because they already are going to a tutor after school. And a lot of the children that I taught were Korean. And I don't know if you know, there's a education there is it's almost over the top um, from the American perspective. Um, but I could see there too, like a lot of those parents did not speak English fluently, but they cared so deeply. And so I really had to reach them in a way um, I had to write to them a lot more because they were using Google Translate for everything that I sent. And I had to actually start making videos sometimes to show them the skills because it was hard to describe when you have that language barrier. And then when I came back to my third school that I taught out, that school was a, a magnet school, but that was public, but the parents won a lottery to be there. And so there are parents of many, many different backgrounds, many different income levels, uh, many different cultural backgrounds, but they all had won a lottery on some level. So their involvement and their excitement to be in the school was very high, which is what a teacher wants. But there was also a little bit of entitlement with some parents feeling like because they had won a lottery to be there, they were going to be getting, An over-the-top primo experience, which of course every teacher wants to give, but there are boundaries and basic expectations, you know, your child is not the only one in class, and if I have 20 students in my class I'm dealing with 40 plus um, parents grandparents guardians all sorts of adults that are pressing into the class and wanting to hear what's going on. Um, I would say. In terms of those interactions, I always had to set boundaries really clearly because you'll have parents that will email you every single day of the week and be expecting an update. And a lot of this comes because I was down in kindergarten. A lot of this comes from daycares and preschools that have a camera in the classroom um, and have, you know, they meet the teacher at the door every day. And once you get your child into um, kindergarten, first grade and out of these really private communities, um, you might hear from the teacher once a week. If you're lucky and no news becomes good news in a lot of ways um but it leaves you it leaves parents hanging because a lot of times when you're reached out to it's because there's bad news going on um and there's a as a teacher there are a lot of things that i wanted to communicate to parents that i simply did not have time to and i really wanted to sit down and go over the curriculum and say like this is exactly what we're doing in class this is exactly what you do when you're doing homework But if I get you for a 20 minute parent teacher conference, there might be something more important that we need to discuss. And so I won't get to talk about the the fun things, the fluffy things, the things that would actually help them a lot with their day to day life, working on homework at home. So primary focus works to fill in that gap that I know teachers so deeply wish they could communicate with parents um, to help them help their kids thrive in school and at home. A lot of the times when I contacted parents, even though I I tried my best to keep positive communication, it was tense. You know, I'm having a call home right now because something's happened with your child in class. I'm having a call home right now because I think your child needs to be in this special program because their grades are suffering. Um, And when you're starting from this place of tension, I've heard parents say that they jump every time they see the school phone number call. They jump every time they get an email. And that frankly, that really sucks because teachers are great people. Parents are great people, but you're dealing with a situation where for me as the teacher, this is my workplace. And um, this is not my family. This is not my life. Of course, I teachers pour their heart into their classrooms, but they need to have strong boundaries and they're dealing with so many people. They can't be communicating as much as they need to. For parents, they're coming from another angle. School is so deeply personal to parents. I mean, they are sending their baby, their, their prodigy, the, their, their love and their joy to school every day. And so when I call and say, Hey, your kid wet their pants and can somebody come bring new jeans up? I just need new jeans. And a parent is thinking, what happened? How did they, how did this go? And, um, a lot of times parents might start asking those questions and the teacher just simply doesn't have time to to get into a whole thing because they see it as this is a simple procedure we need to get through we need new pants or we need to get this done and the parent wants to talk about it so um with primary focus i try to fill in a lot of those gaps and build this empathy to show like teachers really do care but they're following under rules and policies and um things are operating this way because they have to be efficient Right, And so for you as the parent, when you are only getting this much, um, understand here's how you can come in and ask more questions if you feel like you need more. Here's how to write the email. Um, like I have email templates on my website that that just are like copy paste, put in your question. This is how you're going to get a teacher's attention with this. Sure. Here's what happens if you come in um, and you say it this way, um, you're, they're going to listen to you a lot better than if you come in hot and you're shouting in an email or you've shown up to the school. Um, all that's going to happen is pe- they're going to be worried about calming you down instead of actually hearing what's gotten you so upset. Right. Yeah, it's
0: it's funny. I actually myself also I went to a magnet school that I had to want to win a lottery for. Um, interestingly, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, so I don't know if your magnet school yours was not in Charlotte though, right?
1: It was. Yeah.
0: Was it Behringer Academic
1: Center? oh, I know that school. I did not teach there,
0: though. <laughs> oh, that would have been crazy. Um, but it was it was really interesting going from, because um, I was in a low-income area of Charlotte um, in elementary school, and I went to the local school that was um, very, you know, probably prototypical in terms of underfunded, understaffed. Um, you know, there, there was just a, a huge gap between what, the school was able to provide and what the kids needed. You know, a lot of the children, um, this was like their most dependable meal of the day. This was, you know, the place where they were getting at least some level of structure. And, you know, it wasn't quite to the extent of like, oh, we're just warehousing these kids, because I think that can be a real issue as the children get older and are more, you know, in the teenage years and things like that, because we were still very young, but there was a real sense of like listen you get what you get and i remember in transitioning to this magnet school how i mean obviously there were so many things that were different in terms of the resources in terms of the other students and but as you said, like the biggest difference I think, looking back, was the involvement and the enthusiasm of the parents. Because often parents with with such underfunded schools have to kind of come in and build up a lot of the other resources that the school may not be providing in terms of activities, in terms of um, arts, in terms of organizations and groups, and um, you know, support and things like that. And having a, a school full of kids whose parents were really involved was life changing and i do remember you know my parents were were as involved as they could be and they always had been but i remember just like how intense a lot of the parents were at this school and i remember thinking like cuz this was before i mean email existed obviously but like people weren't texting people weren't like if they were emailing it was pretty few and far between so like in order to reach the teachers like th- there was still a bit more of a barrier and i have always thought like those parents at that school who were so intense and over the top like now given how fluid and easily accessible communication is like they just must be like harassing teachers 24/7 oh,
1: it is intense actually i mean when i first started teaching in 2012 that was we were still doing notes home in the backpack and you were just hoping it made it there. You know what I mean? Like I remember I had one parent email me one time and I was so shocked because I had never gotten a parent email before. I was like, how did she get this? How did she find me? (laughs) Um, And then by the time I left, I mean, we have class dojo, which is essentially like a social social, It's like a little Instagram for your class. You're DMing with the teacher. They have, um, I used to post pictures on it and the parents could like and comment on the pictures. And um, that is constant communication. Um, And then the emails, of course, and I was expected to write a weekly newsletter with all the things going on. And um, it is very standard for teachers to be be contacted 24 seven by parents. And it can be anything from, hey, they left their lunchbox today like can you remind them to get it tomorrow to like hey something really traumatic is going on with our family right now and um can you get us with the guidance counselor because we need a food donation asap and you just you know you have to really guard yourself and because these family i mean they these families are in my heart and students you'll hear me call my old students my babies and things because it feels like this family that you're in um but it can be really hard because Kindergarten teachers, I think in particular, get a beating from parents sometimes because very often we are the first people that are breaking the news that something might be going on with the child that the parents are not happy about, are in denial about, um, and they often will point the finger at the teacher and say, well, no, it's you, you're a bad teacher, you're the problem, or no, it couldn't possibly be my child, it's probably this kid on the bus that's doing it, so... um, it it can get heated very quickly um and what i what i knew i came to kindergarten from first grade and i remember having similar hard conversations with parents but they were often more accepting in first grade because it was the second time that they had heard it and it wasn't as new of news but mm-hmm. i definitely experienced parents going off on me i you know harassing emails a lot of times they would just email my principal and um, complain. I was lucky to always have really supportive administrators, principals that I worked with that um, had my back. And even if I was in the wrong, for some reason, like we're very supportive and empathetic and helped work through the issue. Um, But, you know, if there's any parents listening, I think just if you feel like you're about to lose it on a teacher, take a breath and take a step back. um, And just remember, like they are coming from a place where they have A degree they have x amount of years of experience and they've probably seen these things before you know when you teach especially in the same grade the same age level kids go through different phases um and teachers are very aware of like what are phases what are quirks what are a child's personality versus hey your child is showing signs of adhd and i'm not a doctor but you might want to start looking at what the signs of adhd are You don't have to put your kid on pills. That's not what we're saying, but you might want to read a book about this because teaching a child with ADHD, they need something different than what the mainstream teacher is teaching them. Um, And it's just uh, that's all.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, it's it's interesting when you're talking about like this, you know, kind of like social media platform and like sending the pictures and the updates and the comments back and forth and like. I am I personally don't have children but I have, I would say now the majority of people in my life have children um, and one thing that is like sup- not surprising necessarily because it, it does make sense based on the way that the world is now but something that I I um, I see a lot for the people in my life who have children who are in, you know, daycare, pre-K, kindergarten, etc. Is what you're describing, where many, many times throughout the day they'll get photos, they'll get updates, they'll check in, they can watch live feeds of their child, they can, you know, there, there's just a constant level of access and awareness to the child. Now being outside of it and and not having or wanting children myself uh, and you know having grown up in a time as a child where that was not that was not physically possible it strikes me like is this necessarily the healthiest thing for parents to have essentially 24-7 unfettered access to their child when they are away in the school environment, which at least historically, I think, for for most of human life has been a time when the child is pretty distinctly being socialized in a context outside of the family home and outside of their parents' purview. And, And in many ways, that kind of separation it has, I think, always been regarded as at least part of the point from a social perspective and 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 an educational perspective, um, and so it's. I do sometimes have that feeling of like, what? Why? Why do we need like a live feed of the kid if the point is for the kid to be away? But then I always check myself and say, well, you're not a parent. You're not a teacher. You don't know these things. So. Maybe this is the better way to do it and, and we just luckily live in a time when we have access to it. Um, but I'm interested as as someone who is an educator of small children, like and has seen a little bit the transition to just total 24-7 access to the child school experience. Like, what do you think the impacts of that are? Do you think it's overall a good thing? Do you think it's good for the parents, for the children, for the teachers? Like, I'd love to just hear your opinion on that phenomenon.
1: That's a great question, and this is something that is widely discussed in, with parents and with teachers as well, too. I mean, it's it's the same question of, like, should I be checking my email after I'm done with work hours, but just on such a larger level, right? We have access to anything we want, anytime we want, and it can really get your anxiety going. You know, sometimes you can have too much information about something, um, and I think we see this a lot on the local news where um, – parents are getting upset about maybe like a small video clip that there wasn't full um, context about it happening. Um, And so something that I was talking about with my friend is they're putting their child in kindergarten this year. And they had heard from a lot of parents about putting tracking devices in backpacks. Um, And they were asking me my opinion about you know, should we get an AirTag to put in their backpack? Should we get them the little mini kid's cell phone? It's almost like a walkie-talkie. You can only call your parents and message back and forth with them. Um, And I've seen this transition. I didn't really realize it until my last two years teaching, which would have been like 2020 through 2022. But there is this transition where all of a sudden, most of the children in my class had a tracking device in their backpack. And the parents didn't seem to... Um, the parents didn't seem to be checking that all the time, um, but it was helpful, for example, if the bus was late. And I, Charlotte is a city that has busing issues, and it is not uncommon for the bus to be 30 plus minutes late coming home. And I think for them, they got so much peace of mind just being like, oh, OK, their backpack's still at school or the backpacks, you know, four blocks away. Now I can go down to the bus stop um, and it makes life simpler in a lot of ways like that. But I think parents have to set really, really good boundaries like that, because the ones that I've seen that have gotten the most worked up and the most upset are the ones expecting to check in and get an answer from the teacher at any point in the day. Um, I very strategically, when I started the year in kindergarten, would communicate extra. And I think sometimes my colleagues would even tell me like, whoa, that's way too much. I wouldn't do that. But I started off really, really strong and was daily messages. And then I'd taper off to maybe like a week within the first two weeks of school, every parent would get a personal phone call from me, just five minutes. Hello, your kid's nice. We're, you know, we're having a great time at school. Um, and I would taper it off because I think parents really needed that you're coming from this place where you can access what your kid is doing um, at any point. But I think it, it can tear parents apart. Like a lot of times, you'll see like mommy Facebook groups are a real thing. Um, I've seen like parents showing the screenshot of their child and they're like, why is my child sitting in the back? Or why, how come they're sitting over there right now? Are they in trouble? Do I need to call the school? And it's like, you sent them to school and you trust them. And if your child is complaining or you are seeing signs of something else going on, absolutely reach out, ask the question and find out. But Don't spend your work hours and your precious time away from your child worrying about them if you can avoid it Um, because, you know, they're daycare professionals and hopefully they will, you know, manage the daycare with whatever needs to happen. There is something about children building independence that is very, very important. I worry about the amount of parents that seem to be um, resisting sending their children to school because they're losing control of their child. Um, and I think it's a much better perspective to say I want to drop my child off at a safe place where I know bumps in the road are going to happen. No child's having a perfect year at school. That's just not realistic. This is life. You're not dropping them off at, you know, a fantasy land. Um, So if you expect bumps in the road to happen, if you expect your child's feelings to get hurt, if you expect your child to maybe get in trouble once or twice you're going to come from a much better perspective, instead of feeling like the world is attacking your perfect child. Um, I often noticed parents that were sending their second or their third child into kindergarten had this point of view. Whereas the first one going, I think the parents were a lot more sensitive and, and concerned about things. Of course they should be, they're entering a new place. Um, but with that, that time and experience, you get the wisdom of like, yes, life is going to happen to the kids and let's be ready to react to what happens and be proactive um, with a plan, an idea of what to do if something happens to my child, instead of worrying constantly about when it's going to happen or what's going to happen, because it's going to.
0: If you're living in 2023 and you're on the internet, your data, your very personal data, is probably available to everyone who's ready to pay for it. And it's kind of scary. As someone who's been on the internet for the better part of 10 years, this is something I think about all the time. Sadly, there are companies out there called data brokers whose entire job is to collect huge amounts of your personal info, like your name, address, phone number, social security number, and even information about your relatives. This information is then sold online, which is kind of insane. But the good news is that this is where Delete.me comes in to help you. Delete.me protects your data from data brokers, reducing the risks of identity theft, scams, and those annoying spam calls and emails that we all get. Their software and team of experts will not just find and remove your personal information from hundreds of data broker websites, but they'll continuously scan for new data that shows up and get that removed as well. Instead of you spending hours of your time figuring out how to remove this data, Delete.me does it for you. I filled out their simple data sheet with my personal info, and within a few days, received a comprehensive report of where my personal information lives on the internet. Luckily, I didn't have to do anything else because Delete.me worked on my behalf to get much of it removed. So before you go into a panic, take control of your data by signing up for Delete.me. It's super easy to use and it simply works. And they offer a special discount for our listeners. Get 20% off of your Delete.me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash TFC and use promo code TFC. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash TFC and enter promo code TFC at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash TFC, promo code TFC. You know, it's interesting, the AirTag thing. I was reading this um, article recently that was about, um, so basically this researcher, and I don't have like the data on hand, um, but like essentially, this researcher, and we'll link the study in the in the description so you can read the details. But like he used to study the migration patterns of birds, um, and he used the same kind of methodology to study children's movement um, over decades. And it basically, essentially, the conclusion of the research was that children went from having like, uh, I can't remember the number, it was maybe like a two mile radius that at any given day that they were kind of moving about freely. Um, and it then went down to like just hundreds of feet, essentially. Like they went from having a ton of free roaming um, sort of experiences where they were without parents to a very limited amount. And I think anecdotally, most You know, people, so I'm 34. I think most people my age or older, even people a little bit younger than myself, probably have a similar experience of childhood where like my mother during the summer because she wasn't working as a teacher like she would literally lock the door and be like you guys go outside and have fun um i don't care what you do just do not come in like i was after lunch and before dinner she was like i am cleaning the house i'm cooking dinner like you guys stay outside we didn't have cell phones we didn't have like a way to contact them except to like go home or like go to a friend's house and use the phone but like That was just considered, I think, just like a normal part of being a child. And and also, at the time at least, it felt like it was a key aspect of our independence and kind of learning to, to navigate the world ourselves. And it's, yes, anecdotally the case that that is no longer as true. But if you look at the data, like that is not nearly the case as much as it was in the past. And meanwhile, if you look at things like crime statistics, for example, like the world is safer, like fewer crimes are happening, and yet we are more um, kind of restrictive of um, movement for ourselves and for our children. And you mentioned, you know, the AirTag thing. I think is a is a really good example of that phenomenon. But you mentioned that you feel like this access can almost kind of create a preemptive anxiety, and we're also seeing that anxiety rising in children as well. Um, and I'm I'm just kind of interested, like. Are you, even in the span of the time that you've been teaching, have you seen increases in anxiety in the parents and students? Are you seeing like, where do you think this sentiment of like wanting more and more control and less and less movement, where do you think it's coming from?
1: Um, To answer the anxiety question, yes. I think a lot of parents are much higher anxiety. Um, And I think a lot of it comes from, one, this access to data the ability that we can and it you know if you can check it all the time your mind isn't going to be off it right you know consider like if you post something on social media and you keep checking to see if it has likes and you want to see if anybody's commented on it this is kind of what gets created with the child that you can just constantly be checking on them and it never gives your mind a moment to breathe and when you think about anxiety that is something that has that humans have because we were getting chased in the forest by a lion or, you know, a snake's about to bite us. And the reaction that we're having to what's happening to the kid or what's going on is, is the same thing as fighting from your life, but it's very much so not because hopefully you've dropped them off at a safe place, um, or they're being cared for by somebody that you trust. Um, and you can go on and live freely for a moment and, I think parents really deserve that, whether it's just going to work and being able to focus on work or, you know, stay at home and, you know, whatever they're, if they're staying a stay-at-home parent, like the duties that they have to upkeep the house, or, you know, if you get a chance to go out to the movies and go on a date or something that you can have those moments and you don't have to constantly, constantly be worrying. But I think, the media and the judgment on parents, in particular moms in our country, doesn't allow for that. You know, the news cycle loves a lost child. They love to hear something bad happen to a child and their parents weren't there. Like these, you don't hear run-of-the-mill stories because they don't, I mean, they're not stories, I guess, but thousands and thousands of kids get dropped off to school every day and have a good day at school and they come home or even if they had a bad day at school it's not a newsworthy thing it's something that you can use the skills as a parent or you can use a skill your skills as a teacher to work through whatever happened but we're not allowing parents this peace of mind and we're giving them more technology that they can check in constantly um so i think that's where a lot of it's coming from and um the only thing that I see that's really curing it is like, as time goes on, as you get used to how the school works, as you get, you know, maybe if you have multiple children, you have multiple kids going to school, you get the same teacher the second year in a row. And so, you know how they work. Like it's just familiarity that eases people from this anxiety, but teachers often can't provide this because they're working, you know, you wouldn't, A parent wouldn't want me to be texting with them nonstop on class dojo or emailing them constantly in the middle of the day because aren't I supposed to be teaching aren't I supposed to be educating your child, and so you have this push and pull with teachers too because I think parents get. A lot of parents get anxious because they can't hear from the teacher, Uh, but the teacher doesn't have that kind of time to be responding so I hope to see more trust being built back up. unfortunately, we are in a time right now where education couldn't be more in the forefront of news. And despite wishing and wanting this attention and wanting education funding and wanting um, people to pay attention to what's happening in schools, it is the wrong kind of attention right now because it is groups like Moms of Liberty that want to spend their free time combing through the school library to find whatever boogeyman book is in there. Um, Instead of saying like, hey, These teachers don't have copy paper. These teachers don't have pencils. Maybe we could spend our time doing fundraisers to to, um, fill up the supply closet and provide fun experiences for the kids. Um, And so if you're a parent listening right now, what I would really encourage you to do is get involved with your school's PTA or or consider ways that you can provide um, beneficial and helpful support to the school um, because we are being nitpicked apart by people that are just trying to find the worst, darkest, scariest corners of education um, and turning education into a boogeyman, essentially. Um, and I think we all know that's not what it is and it's that's not what it should be either.
0: Well, on that note, there has been a pretty serious resurgence of homeschooling over the past 10 years plus. Um, and, you know, it's not a universal, but a lot of times there are ideological, religious, political bents that come along with homeschooling. Um, but I think even for those who are not necessarily opting for homeschooling, there is an increasing distrust of the education system. Um, and I would just, you know, I personally am always a bit concerned with homeschooling because, who the heck knows what those kids are learning? And you know, as we've learned um, here in New York, for example, a few years ago, there was a, a, a pretty massive scandal uh, in the Orthodox Jewish community here in New York City, where um, the children were being educated essentially privately, but via state funding. Um, and it was revealed uh, in this, uh, you know, case that you know. Huge percentages of the children were functionally illiterate because they were not learning basic reading and writing skills and things like that. Um, obviously, you've also seen that in things like the FLDs community. You've seen like it is very easy in in homeschooling to to have a lack of oversight and not even just homeschooling, but in um, in schooling that is in no way sort of subject to um, you know any kind of regulation or oversight. There's a real Fear that the child is, you know, not really going to be learning much of anything, um, or who knows what they will be learning. Um, but that said, obviously, it's not totally irrational to have some concerns with uh, certain schools in your district system. Um, so I'd just be kind of curious in your overall thoughts about homeschooling, and then kind of, you know, more more broadly, like, do you think that this is a trend that's going to continue?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. My my friend Abby, she works in legal law, and we're always talking about these um, incredible homeschooling cases and how long they went on for, um, and before people figured out that you know essentially forms of child abuse were happening or the children are illiterate, um, and that's because it's so completely unregulated. Every that is something the federal government, as far as I know, does not really look over homeschooling, and it is a state by state cases basis. Um, And so every state, so long as you fill out the paperwork, essentially, some of them might make you take a test. They might have somebody come visit your home to make sure that you have four walls and a roof, but there is not really a lot going on with homeschooling that's regulated. Now, if you wanna take the route of um, keeping your child at home, but having them in some some sort of a virtual academy, um, a lot of those really became more prominent after the pandemic. there are a lot of parents who their kids were thriving when they took the, when they were out of school because of the pandemic and they wanted to keep them going. It's a great option for children that like maybe are dealing with mental health issues or um, physical health issues, or maybe they are, uh, you know, an athlete or they're working in one way or another. Um, So in that sense, it's great that there are these online academies that Seem to be doing a good job. And so long as the parents are involved in holding their child accountable, like you really can be learning from home. Um, but a lot of the homeschool moment movement that we think about, and there's also this term unschooling, is much more fluid than that. Um, and it's, you know, letting the child learn what they want to. Maybe they don't have a specific curriculum that they're going into. And the biggest fear that I have with that is that children are not getting socialized. And socialization is one of the most important skills that children can get from school, aside from the actual education. Um, Rubbing shoulders with kids that are growing up differently than you, come from different backgrounds than you, um, the exposure that you get is just so important um, because it's teaching you how to be a person. I mean, one day you're going to walk out the front, this child's going to walk out their front door and they won't be living with their parents anymore. They'll be an adult, they'll be out in the world. And don't you want to know that they've encountered all sorts of different type of people and they know how to handle themselves in a variety of situations. If you're getting homeschooled, I think it's really important for the parents to consider how is the child getting social time with other children. And when I say other children, you might end up in a pod with five kids that meet sometimes, but even children other than that, I mean, do they get time on the playground to go play with kids they've never seen before? Um, Are they able to handle themselves in a crowd? Um, You know, that experience of being on a loud school bus on the way to the pumpkin patch, you know, that's not just the fun of the pumpkin patch, that's being able to handle yourself in a loud, chaotic space. Um, And so those are the things I think about the most as the socialization. And then also homeschooling is just really hard. There are some parents that I think, have found that they love it, but it is a full time job in itself. Um, I interviewed somebody recently who does unschooling with his child, which is the um, much more free, less curriculum based homeschooling style. Um, and he was talking about like planning over the summer and how he ends up spending a lot of her breaks like preparing materials and buying a lot of materials. It's very expensive to homeschool. Um, And so I would imagine there's a lot of parents that get into it and don't realize like just how much work it is to be a teacher and then have to transition into being their parent. For me as a teacher, I had the advantage of I could be the bad guy sometimes. And sometimes I'd have a parent reach out to me with something going on at home and if it applied to school, I would give that kid the business about it and be a little bit of the pat, bad cop. Um, and when you're homeschooling, you don't have that advantage. You know, it's like, we got to get the ho- we got to get this work done. And then dinner's on the table at the same time. So um, I I don't know if the trend will stay. It seems, I think it started from the pandemic when a lot of parents had their kids at home and said, hey, I can do this. Um but long term, I mean, it is a huge um, commitment. And I would be curious to see how many kids that are being homeschooled now stay in homeschool through middle school, high school, if they really stick it out for their whole school career.
0: You know, obviously, you left teaching. And although you loved it and there were so many aspects of the profession that you know you really enjoyed and care about and everything, there were also obviously enough downsides to it that you ultimately did leave. Um, Do you think that if you had been in a different state where there was a teacher's union and compensation was more um, comprehensive, that you probably would still be teaching?
1: I think it's possible I would still be teaching. Um, I really did love teaching. And if it had just been my classroom and the kids and and even the parents, I think I could have handled it. But the state of education in North Carolina is just not sustainable. and. I think I might've got longer. I don't think I would have made it to 20 years though. Mm. Um, Like, which is often 20 years is when people start talking about, you know, the pension or retirement benefits and things. That's a big landmark year um, financially for teachers. Um, I think if I had been treated better, I might have, but a lot of states even if it's not the pay have issues. You know, you see overcrowding with way too many kids in the classroom. You see some states are in some districts are forcing teachers to teach curriculum that they don't agree with. Um, And something I think about now in North Carolina, and this is being echoed in a lot of states, is that this year there are all of a sudden a bunch of laws being passed. Um, North Carolina is essentially becoming like a mini Florida. They just passed a don't say gay law um, for the state, you know, uh, which is really restricting what teachers can talk about um, with their students. Um, they have, they the libraries in North Carolina are all closed for the first two weeks of school. The school libraries are closed um, so that parents can pick through the books and find anything inappropriate. And uh, I think that would have been really difficult for me to work with. And I know that these laws are being passed in a lot of other states. So um, if I'm in a job where I'm supposed to be unopinionated and completely vanilla and um, you know, able to just handle it all, I-, I think that pressure would have really, really gotten to me.
0: Schools and the education system sometimes, to me, as someone who's uh, pretty interested in and involved with politics, th- from an outside perspective, it often feels like they are um, a huge part of the battleground and a huge part of almost like a canary in the coal mine in terms of what is happening ideologically in a lot of um, in a lot of areas in the country. And you know, obviously, we've seen some really massive regression in terms of human rights and. Um, You know equality, obviously, really big ones like the overturning of Roe v. Wade, but like we've seen, like pretty, pretty aggressive assaults on you know LGBT people, trans people in particular, et cetera. And you know it's it's really interesting when you look demographically at the country and you see how much more progressive and diverse um, and Queer in many uh, cases, like the the population is becoming like overall, these trends are going in a very specific direction, um, and yet it feels like and obviously there's a lot of really clear political reasons for this in terms of you know the judiciary and and um, you know the 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 power that uh, conservatives have at, at different levels of of state governments as well. Um, there are obviously some reasons why in these specific areas, in certain cases, they are able to have what feels like a really disproportionate amount of influence um, compared to the overall um, trends and demographics of the country. But I guess my feeling is like, do we think that this is indicative of where we're going? Or do we think this is kind of like a dying breath of an ideology and a worldview that is going away? For example, the don't say gay stuff. like. It feels, you know, years out from marriage equality and things like that, pretty wild that we would now be saying, like, if you are not heterosexual, you're not allowed to even address having a partner or anything about your life and are automatically kind of sexualizing it. Um, It feels like a huge regression. um, But as someone who's like very close to how this is happening in schools, does it feel indicative of the overall trends or does it feel like just a very aggressive minority?
1: Overall, I think it's a very aggressive minority that feels this way. Um, I think the they're a very aggressive minority, though, with people in power that are very good at redrawing lines. Um, and that makes it very difficult because we're putting people in power that maybe feel this way, but it's going to be of an era. But we are going to see these people in power for a really long time. Um, and I think about like, even some of the laws that are passed will affect people for time to come because all we can do is adjust those laws and be working backwards from something that's been put in place, um, as freedoms get taken away. Um, I think a lot about like parents, parents that are gay or non-binary, um, and how hard it must be to send their children through school right now. Um, when I taught in North Carolina, I had three different parents that I can think of that appeared to me as single parents um, and on the paperwork were single parents and um, the kids didn't really talk too much about their homes. Um, And then finding out, we had a teacher at the school, at both schools I worked at, we had teachers that were gay and later that child being placed in that class a few grades later and realizing like, oh, wow, this person presented to me as a single parent for an entire school year. Um, But they are not like they are happily married and have two kids and um, just don't feel safe explaining that, you know, they their partner is of the same gender of them. And I think that's got to be a really hard thing because their child fundamentally can't be themselves, can't talk about themselves at school. And I thought we were in a day and age where it was going to become easier to be yourself in society. Um, but you've got these very loud, scary people yelling, you can't be that way. Um, and it's making it, even though I think most people are very accepting and whatever level of accepting means to you, um, (laughs) I think that can vary a lot. Um, The people that are the loudest are the scariest and are making it harder for people just to be themselves in their day-to-day lives um so i if i'm i wish i could be optimistic and say this is going away i don't think it is just because of the way they have uh infiltrated our laws and our legal system um but i don't think most people day-to-day are walking around with such hateful thoughts in their minds
0: If someone watching this were to be considering getting into teaching, um, what is your overall advice for them, but then specifically if there is any financial
1: advice? Um, I think if you want to teach, you should teach. It is a calling. Um, It is a calling. And even though I don't regret leaving teaching, I miss it a lot. Um, But I think you should maybe keep a foot on the ground. I was very naive when I went into teaching. Um I thought it was a I thought it was a good job and a stable job. And it is. You get the check at the end of the month. You have health insurance. Um, you know, you and most states are paying into some sort of a pension or retirement system. And so on its face it does look very, very stable. But I think you need to be thinking long-term about how you wanna build yourself financially. And I hate to tell people with a full-time job to maybe consider some sort of a side hustle, but it might be a side hustle. It might be making sure you are investing in your retirement aggressively. Um, I recently found out that I thought I was saving for retirement and they were just sitting dormant in accounts basically. And I switched everything over, but my financial advisor was not doing me any good. And so just really think long term about how you want to grow financially, because this is something states fight over. Education is expensive and education does not make a profit. There is, you know, you can say you're investing in the kids in the future, um, but like kids cost a lot of money in the now. So um, you have to think about how you are going to support yourself financially and um. I thought I was living a good life my first couple of years. And then I had an unexpected surgery. And I realized that I had barely anything in savings, despite having worked for several years. And that kind of cleaned me out financially. Um, so just think about that. If you want to teach, though, I I say teach. And um, be humble, because your first couple of years teaching are very hard. Um, and people are very much so there to support you. So find the people that are going to cheer you on and help you. Um, there's a lot of really good spirit in schools. Um, but if you don't ask for help, you are not going to get it because teachers are so busy They they and they're thinking about their kids. They might not think about the first-year teacher next door. But as soon as you tell them, they will be there for you.
0: That's lovely. And then lastly, in terms of you know, people who are considering going into teaching um and want to know like how to find the right school. You mentioned, like there are schools that you feel like you clicked with better than others. Um what makes like what is something, what are things that a person looking to get into teaching should look for at a given school?
1: Hmm, that's a good question. Um well I mean, from a practical standpoint, that commute is important. You're going to be very tired at the end of the day. And if you're trying to, you know, have an hour home commute, that's going to make it so much harder on you. Um, From the school itself, I would say look for strong spirit. And whether that's in the form of a PTA, which is parents fundraising um, and banding together to make cool things happen at the school, um, or if it's just like it seems like the school community is really good. Um, that is just watch, like, it's hard to watch social media because that's the lowest priority of a school, but like, you know, see if you can figure out, you know, is there, um, a carnival happening or a spirit day where they're all wearing the same colors, things like that are indicators that there is fun happening at the school. Um, And then something I would watch for as well is teacher turnover. Um, And if you really dig, you can definitely find documents in public schools about the teacher turnover rate. But, you know, if teachers are happy, they will stay at the school. It is very difficult to job hop as a teacher because we have, essentially if a teacher, teachers own all of their stuff. So like you need to actually rent a U-Haul if you're moving out of your classroom. And so once teachers find a place they want to be, they stay. So if you see... Um, a low amount of turnover, that is a really good thing. The only exception is if it's a brand new principle, because there will always be people coming and going when you have um, turnover, boss turnover like that.
0: Well, Natalie, it was so, so lovely getting to talk to you. Um, it's also been lovely working with you. Um, where
1: can people go to watch your videos? Yes, I'm on YouTube. Um, my channel is called Primary Focus. I hope you subscribe. Um, my newest video is about what to do if you hate your teacher and you're having some conflict with them. Great one to keep in your pocket, whether you're having issues now or just down the line. Um, I also have a newsletter that comes out every Tuesday where I share tips and my perspective as a teacher for parents to help them support their kids in school. You can sign up for that at newsletter.primaryfocus.tv. Um, Yeah, I'm always on Instagram, but I would really love that YouTube subscription. Um, And if you are looking to get a little help with your child, I do consult one-on-one with parents. So you can drop me an email um, or DM me on Instagram.
0: Wonderful. Yes, I second that. Please go subscribe. Her work is really good, and she works really hard at it. So she deserves them. Uh, Okay, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. And I will see you next Monday on an all-new episode of The Financial Confessions. Bye, guys.